It's Mock Draft Monday. The Washington State Cougars and Washington Huskies will be hosting their pro days early this week. Which Cougars and Huskies could stand out as potential prospects for the Seahawks to pick in next month's draft? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it down on the latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for Mock Draft Monday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Hope everybody had a great weekend. A busy week of football-related activities here in the Pacific Northwest. Washington and Washington State are both going to be hosting their pro days on Monday and Tuesday. I know, Rob, that you are going to be on site checking out all these prospects. So an exciting time for you, an exciting time for Pacific Northwest football fans. And, of course, fans that like to see Washington and Washington State players end up with the Seahawks. We will be checking out some of these prospects later in the show. And Rob's going to be breaking down my latest seven-round mock draft. He's going to be grading out my drafting skills, taking on John Schneider's role here later in the show. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It was a pretty quiet second week of free agency for the Seahawks. Only a handful of small signings and a number of their big name players that were either released or were just outright unrestricted free agents have yet to sign anywhere. But there has been some movement in terms of visits for some former Seahawks. Most notably, Bobby Wagner visiting with the much-hated division rival Rams, and also reportedly had a meeting scheduled with the Baltimore Ravens. Same can be said for defensive lineman Rasheem Green, who had a visit with the Baltimore Ravens. Neither one of those players signing a contract at this point, but there definitely is interest around the league, in particular in Wagner. And I know a lot of fans were upset about him making a visit to L.A., but I mean, he's from Southern California, and last time I checked, the Seahawks were the ones that opted to cut him. It's not like he wanted to leave Seattle. Well, that's the thing. I think that if you are a Seattle Seahawks fan, true and blue, then obviously just the idea of Bobby Wagner lacing it up and playing anywhere other than Seattle is going to just gall you. But if you are a fan of Bobby Wagner, the player Bobby Wagner, the man, then, then how could you be upset with a player that, as you just mentioned, Corbin, Seattle cut loose and him going back to his roots, going back, you know, born and bred in Los Angeles and played his college football at Utah State. Um, you know, if he was going to go back to the LA Rams and a team, obviously, that just won themselves a Super Bowl, all the defensive talent that they had there, um, you know, I, I, I personally would be rooting Bobby Wagner on, including against the Seahawks. I mean, that, that's, that is what competitors are all about. So if that would be the case, then I, I do think that the Bobby Wagner, <clears throat> excuse me, deserves a great deal uh, of support if that is the decision that he and the Los Angeles Rams make. On the flip side, if he was to go to the Baltimore Ravens, I mean, my goodness, if you are a linebacker, you know, just considering everybody that they have had there, Ray Lewis probably most uh, impactful of all of them. I mean, it is just a dream 
to be able to play with, with a team like the Baltimore Ravens. And of course, they also have a, a Super Bowl caliber quarterback in Lamar Jackson. So maybe uh, Bobby Wagner might be able uh, to get himself back in, into, you know, in, into competing in the playoffs at that point. Rasheem Green as well. So that's the thing. I, again, I, I realize that we're on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. Everything is blue and green here. And, and you would love for these players to, to make their way back to Seattle or just kind of disappear from the league and, and help the Seahawks be able to get some victories. But these are still young men who are fighting for a dream. I certainly am always going to be kind of rooting them on and, and seeing where their success leads them in the future. Yeah, I'm going to just stick with what I've said on social media. And I know there have been a few fans that have been upset about this because they understand the circumstances, but they're upset that Bobby Wagner would go to one of Seattle's most hated rivals. Again, though, this is a business, and this is not 1970 anymore, where I just don't feel like the rivalries these days are up to the notch that rivalries were 30, 40 years ago. That's the reality of today's NFL. And again, he's from Southern California, so who's going to blame him? He does not owe fans anything. He gave everything in his decade playing here in Seattle, and not just on the field, the stuff that he did off the field. He's going to continue to do that. He's going to continue to be involved in the community in the Pacific Northwest, even if he's not playing here anymore. But if he wants to go give himself a chance to win one more ring before he retires, going to the Rams would be a perfect landing spot, and he'd be close to home, close to his family. So why not? Why not take that shot? And as for a player like Rasheem Green, fans aren't going to be as upset about that one because Rasheem Green is not a perennial all-pro like Bobby Wagner is. But the scheme change and bringing in Shelby Harris, re-signing Quentin Jefferson, a player like Rasheem Green, who's kind of that tweener that can play some on the inside, can play some as a base defensive end, even played some Leo out wide last year. Not necessarily great at any of those roles, but he can rotate and he did have six and a half sacks last year. So he had a really nice season for them. In Baltimore, he would be a really nice rotational player for them to add to their defensive line. And I think his skill set would fit in well. I'm just not sure that now with the personnel Seattle already has, not that Rasheem Green couldn't play for them anymore, but I just don't think they have a spot at this point. So those two guys, especially Bobby Wagner, they're not going to be back in Seattle. Maybe Rasheem Green, if he doesn't get an offer, could come back for less money, but it's not looking like it. As far as other notable names to keep an eye on, Dwayne Brown, things have been really quiet for the veteran tackle. There was a report that the Carolina Panthers were interested but as of this stage, there hasn't been a visit. At least there hasn't been a reported visit. And no other teams have been linked to him. He is going to be 37 in August. So this may be a case where teams are not wanting to invest a ton of money in an aging tackle. The Seahawks, Pete Carroll said, still have interest in maybe making that happen. But if you read between the lines, it sounded like he was saying money is going to potentially be an issue here. And they have less than $10 million in effective cap space right now. That's not a lot of money to sign him. So Brown still remains out there. Brandon Shell, their other former starting tackle, he met with the Broncos, and then they turned around and signed former Packers tackle Billy Turner. So I don't think that he's going to be going to Denver now. Maybe he's an option to bring back to Seattle. And, of course, Geno Smith, Pete Carroll on his interview last week with KJR, sounded like he was already part of the team, but he has not been signed to compete against Drew Locke for that starting quarterback job. Maybe they'll be bringing him back here in the near future, but for now, there's nothing on that front. 
Yeah, a couple of things that you just mentioned, Corbin, I think are, you know, really interesting. We we should kind of elaborate on a little bit more. For one, I think that it's fascinating that, that Pete Carroll, as you just mentioned, um, has, uh, you know, referred to Geno Smith as if he is on the roster. And I almost wonder if Seattle has basically kind of an agreement with Geno Smith or perhaps Dwayne Brown, that they are going to bring either one or perhaps both of those players, maybe even Brandon Shell as well, bring them back to Seattle. But what good would that do the Seahawks to announce those type of signings right now? Obviously, if you're the player, then you want those signings to be announced because you want that to be in writing, guaranteed deal if possible. You know, you'd be feeling a lot better about that. But from Seattle, from a draft perspective, once they moved up to number nine overall, this is a much more competitive situation the Seahawks have found themselves in in a long, long time. If they bring back Geno Smith, if they bring back Dwayne Brown and or Brennan Shell, mm-hmm. that kind of pigeonholes Seattle a little bit with who they might be selecting at number nine overall. And so if they leave that out there, then, then perhaps uh, it, it throws a little bit more camouflage into what John Schneider's intentions might be at number nine. So I think that's interesting. Really quickly, just shifting the, you know, the focus back to Bobby Wagner for a moment. Should he go to the Los Angeles Rams or any other club that the Seahawks are going to be facing next year? I, I don't want to confuse people. I, I think that everybody who's listening to our podcast here, Corbin, is very much rooting for the Seahawks to be successful, not necessarily Bobby Wagner. And I war, I, I welcome the opportunity to be able to attack Bobby Wagner and coverage a little bit. You just got yourself one of the most athletic tight ends in all of the NFL. I think that uh, what you got in Noah Fant is basically a- another version of a Darren Waller for the Las Vegas Raiders. I really think Noah Fant is a Pro Bowl caliber tight end just waiting to explode in the NFL. And we've talked over and over again about how much Bobby Wagner struggled in coverage over the last couple of seasons. So if that is the case, I think the Seattle will be looking to get him. And then again, with the Baltimore Ravens and Eric DaCosta, their general manager, very much under the same kind of thinking as their previous general manager, Ozzie Newsom, the Hall of Famer, uh, signing a guy like Rasheem Green, as young as he still is, that just screams what Baltimore has done so many times in the yeah. past. So again, I'm rooting for all these players. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see how the Seahawks, of course, build their roster. Most importantly, yeah, it's a business, and fans have to understand that these guys have to make the best decisions for them, especially somebody like Bobby Wagner, who is his own agent. So if he wants to go to LA, he's going to go to LA. Fans don't have to root for the Rams. They don't have to root for Wagner if they don't want. That's your choice. But they shouldn't be upset about him making that decision, especially knowing he's from that area. And Rasheem Green, if he wants to go cross country to Baltimore, he's not on the schedule next year for the Seahawks anyway. You're not going to worry about it. And he's a young guy that still has a chance to be good somewhere else, just not necessarily a fit now with the personnel that Seattle has. So hopefully those guys will be able to get good deals wherever they end up landing, wishing them all Well, going to be shifting gears now, all draft in this episode. We'll be talking Washington State and Washington prospects coming up at their pro day later in the show. But first, I have my latest seven-round mock draft, so I'm going to give Rob an opportunity to grade out that draft and look at my general manager skills as we try to rebuild the Seahawks going into the 2022 season. Speaking of rebuilding, I'm rebuilding my body right now, and one big key component of that is Built Bar, 100% chocolate, delicious, does not taste like a protein bar, truly tastes like a candy bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, you are missing out. It's like a marshmallow on steroids. 
I'll eat two or three of them in one sitting. Just plain delicious, amazing flavors, including banana cream pie, my personal favorite. Regular Built Bar has some awesome flavors too. Peanut butter brownie. You also have orange cream and a number of other amazing flavors. So go out and try one of those. Visit Built.com. Make sure to check out the website and look at all their amazing flavors, both in the regular Built Bars and Built Bar Puffs. They're less than 200 calories. They have only four net carbs, and they also have 17 grams of protein. So it's a perfect pre-workout snack, sometimes post-workout, depending how you function. But it's the perfect way to get yourself in top shape here in 2022. So make sure to check out the Built Bar website, Built.com, and enter in the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 at Built.com for 15% off. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Mock Draft Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. We've got a bunch of buddies that cover other teams, experts covering all 32 teams around the league that pitch in on this website for analysis, free agency news, draft content, you name it. They've got everything covered both on audio, on places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, but also streaming five days a week on YouTube. So again, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts or on YouTube. All right, it's Mock Draft Monday, Rob. Normally, we would be diving into a bunch of mock drafts that are from other places like CBS, Pro Football Network, and we were looking over a bunch of them that were released the last couple of days, and this happens time to time. We've had years where there have been a bunch of different names floated out because Seattle picks late in the first round, or they don't even have a first-round pick. But now that they're in the top 10, I've noticed there's a trend. There seems to be the same two or three players are getting picked in every single mock draft. This weekend, it was Sauce Gardner, the corner from Cincinnati. Now, Seattle picks him at number nine. I think he has shut down corner potential in the NFL. That's a fantastic football player. It would make a lot of sense. But we have talked about Gardner all the time on this show. And so you and I just came to the conclusion, you know what? Let's see if we can maybe talk about some players that we haven't talked about, or at least a few guys we haven't talked about. And then it hit me. You know what? I just posted my latest seven round mock yesterday on all Seahawks. And so I decided let's flip the switch a little bit here. I'll read off some picks and then you're going to be the Mel Kuyper of locked on Seahawks here. And you're going to be dishing out your thoughts on the player and grading out the pick. So let's get to this. I'm looking forward to it, Corbin. Let's hit hit me with all your picks. Let's see what you got. So we know the Seahawks pick at number nine, the pick that they got from the Denver Broncos. I decided to sit pat because we just talked about the fact Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell are no longer on the team, at least for now. They're still free agents, haven't signed with anybody. They're going to have to get a franchise left tackle in the near future. Maybe Stone Forsyth is viewed as that guy, but... I didn't view it from that perspective in this mock draft because there are three tackles that I think are worthy of top 10 picks. One of them was still there at number nine. So I decided to roll the dice on one of the most athletic tackles in this class and somebody that I think would be a great fit in an offense with a lot of zone run concepts. And that is Charles Cross from Mississippi State. I, I like Charles Cross. I mean, and, and the more you watch tape on him, the more you like him. 
Um, you know, very easy off the ball in, in terms of pass protection. I mean, just a different level, kind of a Dwayne Brown kind of level and just how quickly he is able to drop back uh, out of his pass set and, and really be able to punch his hands and use his feet to slide laterally back and forth. Pass blocking actually is where Charles Cross is, uh, you know, a little bit higher up on my board right now than he is in run blocking. But you mentioned that the athletic ability that he possesses, 4-9 in the 40 yard dash at 6'5", 315 pounds roughly. I mean, that is just phenomenal athletic ability. Some of the concerns I have about him is the fact that he played he played for Mike Price. And Mike Price, offensive linemen have struggled, uh, excuse me, Mike Leach, geez. For, I mean, over here in, in, in Portland, <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, ex-Washington State Cougar head coaches. But uh, with Mike Leach, the offensive linemen that have, that have succeeded in Mike Leach's offense in college have struggled a little bit at the NFL level. I don't know that the cross is going to struggle. You see a guy who does have the, 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 the physicality to be able to be successful. And then again, Mike Leach, I mean, he was at Texas tech. He was at Washington state. They aren't leagues in college football that are known for producing high caliber defensive linemen. Yet he went to the SEC and Charles Cross was a star before Mike Leach got there. And, and he certainly was a star since Mike Leach has got there. So I, I like this selection. I agree with you. To me, there are three offensive tackles who are worthy of consideration at number nine overall. I wonder if maybe there is a pass rusher who might be a little bit higher on my own personal board. Um, you know, at number nine, uh, rather than Charles Cross, but still, um, I, I do follow along with the thinking that Seattle might use that number nine overall selection on a left tackle. It is obviously a, a critical area of need for this club. And if you are, in fact, going to move forward with the quarterback, whether it be Drew Locke, some other young quarterback here, um, then why not get that offensive lineman now and be able to let him have his lumps? He's going to take some lumps in the NFC West. We know all the edge rushers in, in this division. But at the same time, allow him to take his lumps so that way when you are truly competing moving forward, then you have a potential Pro Bowl young left tackle to build around. And I decided to trade back into the first round. And I've talked about this logic on Twitter. The fifth-year option for certain positions is not as big of a deal to me. But if you can go up to the end of the first round and you can get a quarterback and have the fifth-year option on his contract, it's going to be significant money, but it's not going to be Russell Wilson money either. It gives the franchise some flexibility and some leverage with a young quarterback. And Kenny Pickett in this particular mock fell the number 31. So I struck a trade, trading one of my second rounders and a future second rounder to go up and get Kenny Pickett. I would not pick him at number nine. But at number 31, maybe the most pro-ready quarterback in this year's class, that is where if I'm John Schneider, I'm pulling the trigger, moving up, and getting myself a quarterback that at 31 I think is good value, and I get that fifth-year option with him. That's a really, really good point. Uh, you know, I, I think that this is going to be fascinating to see what, what Seattle might do with the quarterback position in this year's draft class. I do not believe that they have to select a quarterback. As we talked about before, I am higher on Drew Locke than a lot of people seem to be. I certainly understand that he has struggled a little bit with the Denver Broncos, but I was very high on, on him coming out of Missouri a couple of years ago, what I saw in person at the senior bowl. And, and frankly, I look at a defensive minded uh, head coach, Vic Fangio at the Denver Broncos. And it doesn't surprise me 
that, that Drew Locke did not make those steps. I thought that he sounded humbled. I think that he that is more likely to make him hungry moving forward. But this could be a situation, uh, you know, basically where we are seeing history repeat itself. I mean, Seattle thought that they had a, a potential starter in Matt Flynn. Of course, they wound up drafting Russell Wilson uh, 75th overall. He winds up winning the, the the opening day position. And, of course, history is, is set at that point. If you are going to invest in a quarterback in the second round, Corbin, for the reason that you just explained, in the first round, you get that fifth-year rookie option. If you do hit on a quarterback, then it makes more sense to take him in the first round because you can keep him for a year longer at a cheaper price. So if Seattle is thinking that they might be selecting a quarterback at number 41, or excuse me, number 40 or 41 overall, then it would make more sense to trade up to 30, 31, 32, select that quarterback at that point, same guy. But, but select him there just because you're going to be able to get that fifth-year option. And then just allow me a moment here to just kind of gush about Kenny Pickett. You know, say what you will about his hand size, I have. Say what you will about the fact that he doesn't have the elite arm strength. I've talked about Malik Willis and Matt Corral before. They, they have the stronger arm. But I still think that accuracy and anticipation are two of the most underrated attributes. We're talking about the quarterback position. And in those two attributes, there's no question. Kenny Pickett is heads and tails uh, above Malik Willis, certainly. And even with Matt Corral and his experience against SEC competition. So I think that that might potentially be a slam dunk kind of a, of a move for the Seahawks if that is, in, in fact, the way that things shook out in the first round. Let's look at my next several picks here. Because of that one trade that I made to get rid of a second round pick, I then flipped pick number 41 back to 49 of the Saints to get an extra third rounder. So I recouped a draft pick on day two. But my next three picks at number 49, I brought in Drake Jackson, the edge rusher from USC, who I think is a really good fit as that overhang linebacker that can also drop back in coverage. You know he can rush the quarterback some. At pick 72, I added another linebacker in Darian Beavers, who I actually have grown to like as an off-ball prospect to fill the Bobby Wagner spot. I think he's underrated in that capacity. Also ran much faster than I thought he was going to at the Combine. He is a playmaker, and I loved watching him against Alabama. He played at his best in that playoff game. And then at number 98, going to the secondary, this one might surprise some people, maybe a name they haven't thought of, but Cam Taylor-Britt from Nebraska is a player that I like the tools. And once we get to this stage of the draft, I'm thinking, didn't necessarily see it in Nebraska, but I think this guy could be a really good all-around NFL corner. He already is at his best in zone. I like his athletic tools, though, with proper coaching from Sean Desai and Carl Scott to be a guy that can play well in man, too. And I like his size. I think this is a good value spot for him at 98. Oh, I 100% agree with you. Cam Taylor-Britt is a guy that I've been high on for a long, long time. I mean, a former safety who was brought that physicality to cornerback yeah. position, ran the 4-4s at the combine, just kind of proved that he is that guy. You know, it, it's funny. There's a lot of Seahawks fans out there, Corbin, that when I mention the name Trey Flowers, they want to throw something at the screen. Like, why would you want another Trey Flowers? I'll tell you why. Because he was a starter. That, that you got in the middle rounds. And that's exactly why I think the Cam Taylor Britt is going to be as a starter that you can find in the mid rounds. He has the physicality. He has the speed. He has the mindset that the Seahawks have always prioritized. So to me, that is absolutely the type of guy, the, 
the type of guy that Seattle has prioritized in the past. Same thing there with Beavers as well. I mean, get a good athlete, physical, played his best football against the top competition. To me, that is everything uh, that you are looking for. And then you, you mentioned the, 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 the first pick, and I, I apologize. I already forgot about having Drake Jackson. <laughs> and then Drake Jackson, I mean, my goodness. I mean, I, I apologize, Drake Jackson, because I, I do think that, you know, it, it's, kind of ironic that uh, that I forgot about him for a moment because like, national media has forgotten about Drake Jackson. If he played at Ohio State, uh, in Michigan, and Alabama, I think he'd be talking about right now as a, as a potential first-round selection. I love the idea of Seattle selecting him within the top 50 picks. I do believe that he's going to wind up going that high. I really like the uh, you know his fit here with Seattle. And to me, he is not quite big enough to be that 4-3 defensive end, in my opinion. He exactly. is more of that 3-4 rush linebacker. But I like his speed. I like his bend. I like the fact that you're already complimenting him with another former USC Trojan, Seattle signed, and Yuchenna Nuoso before, who we've already talked about, super physical. Why not get another guy who has that type of burst and bend like Daryl Taylor has already? I, Corbin, I think you're hitting it out of the park. I think if Seattle is able to get this, this collection of talent so far, Seahawks fans would be very, very happy moving forward. Rather than break down my last three picks all individually, I'm going to rattle them off and I'm going to have you pick your day three selection that you like best. Now, I did not have a sixth or seventh rounder because I did some moving around. I did trade back up to get a second pick in the fifth round. At pick 109, I drafted Brian Robinson Jr., the physical running back out of Alabama. I know that you are a big fan of his running style, as am I. At pick 129, this was really my home run pick as far as I'm concerned. Justin Ross from Clemson, who at one point looked like a slam dunk first rounder. I know that they don't need receivers necessarily, but if he falls, and he did have spinal surgery a couple years ago, so this is possible. He could fall to 129. I would jump up and go get him if that happened and team him up another 6'4 receiver to go with DK Metcalf. Drew Locke would be drooling about that. And at 153, Cam Jurgens. Now, I know there's a video going around the pro day. He was doing frog jumping, and I don't know why they had a player doing that. But this was a guy that had a really impressive senior bowl. I like the film, and I just am not sold on Reader being a long-term option at center. I think Jurgens could end up being that guy, and you could get him on day three. I got two Nebraska Huskers on this particular draft, but those are two I really like in this draft class. Oh, I, I, and I do as well. And we've talked about Brian Robinson, so it, it's with a great deal of respect for him. I'd love Seattle to consider him. I'm just going to kind of move away from him. We've talked about Justin Ross a little bit as well, and just the fact that, that Seattle would, you know, you'd like to see Seattle be able to kind of get some more receivers. We're seeing what impact wide receivers are getting paid right now. Well, Devontae Adams obviously being traded due to salary cap concerns. Uh, Tyreek Hill being traded due to salary cap concerns. I mean, guys like, you know, I mean, there, there's been some crazy receivers getting crazy money in free agency right now. So I think that it makes sense for Seattle to continue to get young wide receivers. So let's focus in on Cam Jurgens because we talked about before, we just don't know what Seattle is doing at the center position. If they already have their, their, the center that they believe that they're going to be moving forward with an Austin Blythe, is he going to be your starter moving forward? He may very well be. But if you got a guy like Cam Jurgens who is just feels like he's tailor-made, to uh, Andy Dickinson, Dickinson's uh, offense, you know, wanting to be a little bit more zone blocking, wanting to be a little bit more movement. You, you watch Jurgens on tape. You watch Jurgens at the at the the combine. I mean, truly one of the most athletic centers in this draft class. I think that he would make a lot of sense as well. 
I would mix up Austin Blythe with Austin Ryder because those were the two free agents last year that we were both arguing Seattle should sign. So it's all about the Austins. Anyway, we're going to shift gears away from my draft now, and we're going to look at some pro days because we know many of our listeners are in the Pacific Northwest and either root for Washington or Washington State. So we're going to look at some prospects from both those schools that are going to be under the radar here with these couple pro days coming up that might be selections for the Seahawks. We'll be getting to that here in a moment. Before we break down the, the local prospects from the state of Washington, I want to talk to you about a product my wife and I literally use every day. We started taking Athletic Greens because we wanted an easy, delicious way of improving our gut health, and we have found it. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, we, and you as well, could be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. We're all aging. It's lifestyle friendly. We, we drink it first thing in the morning, even before our coffee. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything. It tastes pretty good. We've experienced better, sounder sleep and recovery. It supports mental clarity and alertness. It's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best, the best products based on the latest science. And it's just one scoop in your cup of, of water every single day. One scoop in water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. As Corbin mentioned before, I'm traveling myself. I've got my travel pack of Athletic Greens ready to rock in the morning. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Mock Draft Monday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to keep talking college prospects. Now, we don't have time on this podcast to necessarily dive into each individual pro day. Last week, I know we made some references to a few of the pro days that some of the top quarterbacks participated in, but... For this particular occasion, in the state of Washington, there's going to be a lot of football-related activities going on the next couple of days as it pertains to the draft. Right now, you are currently in Pullman, Rob. We're not going to outline your exact location for our listeners, but you are in Pullman. The Cougars getting ready to host their pro day. Then tomorrow, we've got the University of Washington as well. The Huskies will be hosting their pro day. You will be traveling to Seattle for that particular one. So we're going to be getting a chance to get some insight on a number of prospects from both of these teams. And like it seems like there is every year, I feel like there are some really good prospects entering this draft from both of these local Division I Pac-12 members that would be good fits for the Seahawks. Let's start with Washington State, Rob. Who might be a player that maybe is a little under the radar that isn't being talked a lot about from the Cougars that might make sense for the Seahawks come next month? I think that you're going to focus in on the cornerback, Jalen Watson. Um, you know, Abraham Lucas, the right tackle, I think actually might be in play for Seattle, number 40, 41 overall, because you're talking about a four-year starter who checked all the boxes that he needed to at the senior bowl, at the combine. But frankly, 
If you are not already talking about Abraham Lucas, the big right tackle from the Washington State Cougars, then then you're just late to the show. Um, you know, and so I, I think that again, we we need to acknowledge him. I think that he might be the most likely of the the in-state players to sign to to be drafted by the Seahawks. But you specifically said about an under the radar player, and again, with all due respect to Max Borgie, the running back, I mean, just a dynamic player. The fact that he was unable to work out the combine is one of the primary reasons why I'm here in Pullman, excited to see what Max Borgie is going to be able to do. But Jalen Watson is a guy that that people just don't seem to talk about, Corbin. I mean, he was spectacular for the Cougars in the last couple of seasons. Went to the Senior Bowl and got beat a couple of times. But I love his length. I love his physicality. I love the fact that he ran a, I think it was a 4-5-1 electronically timed. I talked to some scouts who had him in the high 4-4s. You know, at six foot plus, 200 pounds plus. You know, to me, he absolutely checks the box with Seattle, has preferred the cornerback position in the past. If they don't decide to go with him, don't worry. Jalen Watson is going to wind up being drafted among the top 100 selections, uh, you know, in, in about a month from now. And he's going to be a really good football player. This, this is a guy that, uh, you know, it might just be the best defensive back that we've seen from Washington State since the Seahawks selected another guy from Washington State. Marcus Trufant in the first round years ago. He'd be a guy on day three that I think would be a great fit. And we know that's typically when the Seahawks draft corners. And the earliest they picked one is the third round under Pete Carroll and John Schneider. So Watson might be a guy on day three that makes a lot of sense for them, not just because he's a local product, but because he has good size, good length, good athleticism, would be a good scheme fit for the Seahawks, even with some of the adjustments they're going to be making on that side of the ball. You mentioned Abraham Lucas, though. He is on, you know, my top five, six prospects for the Seahawks that I've outlined that could be available at 40-41. And the reason I'm saying could be is because I think that he is a player that, you know, when you look at draft experts where they're pinning players, there's always a group of guys that end up getting picked much earlier than what is projected consensus-wise with your draft experts, he is one of them that I think absolutely could be a day one pick because he was fantastic at the Combine with his athletic stuff. He was probably my favorite interview the entire weekend as well, or the entire week. He was fantastic. Uh, loved hearing him. And, and you know, typically guys that come from a Mike Leach system, as you mentioned, you're not going to see physical run blockers because they hardly ran the football. But even this past year with a change in coordinators, change in head coach, what they had to deal with uh, with having a midseason coaching change. This is a guy that has the mentality that you're looking for, much more than Andre Dillard, who was drafted in the first round a few years ago out of Washington State does. So Lucas would be one I'm interested in. Borgi, I've got him as a late day three selection just because I think that he could run the football between the tackles in the NFL I think that he's got more running ability in that regard than what we were able to see with the Cougars just because they didn't run the ball much. We know that he's a really good receiver, but I think that being a top-tier third down back is probably the ceiling for him. I don't see him being a guy that can tote the rock 20 times a game. He's not that kind of player, and there are a lot of other backs in this draft that would check off that box far better in my opinion. So while I like the kid a lot, and I think he would be a really good value pick in the late rounds, I would not probably pick him earlier than the six or seven. Now, if he goes out and runs like a 4-3-40 at Washington State's Pro Day tomorrow, and you relay that to me, then absolutely uh, that could be something that I maybe change my mind on. But I just don't necessarily see him being somebody that's going to get picked earlier than maybe the sixth round. 
No, I, I agree with you. I, I think that he is going to be a day three selection. I, I don't necessarily believe that he is going to run an incredible 40-yard dash time. I do think that his shuttle times are going to be very impressive, yeah. at least based on the tape. Um, you know, this is a guy who has very quick feet. I, I would argue that he has about as quick a feet as anybody I have seen on tape, regardless of position, all year long. I mean, I just love this kid's feet. Um, you know, I, I just think that the way that he changes directions, like a, he looks like a slalom skier, the, the way that he just kind of glides effortlessly back and forth, laterally, left and right, and then boom, he's, and he has that burst. But he does top out. So I, I'm expecting something in the, in the four fives in terms of the 40-yard dash, but I think that he is going to challenge for one of the quicker three-cone and short shuttle times. I, as you mentioned, he's got really soft hands out of the backfield. He is not going to be a bell cow back in, in the NFL, but I just think that the way that the game is adjusting now to those running backs out of the backfield. We saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, wind up going in the first round uh, a couple of years ago, of course, to the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm not suggesting that uh, that, that Borgie is, is you know CEH, but at the same time, I, I do think that there is absolutely a spot for Borgie in the NFL. So I'm really excited to see what he is going to do on Monday. And then on Tuesday, go back to Seattle and, and have an opportunity to evaluate the University of Washington draft class. And, you know, we've talked about before, Corbin, I mean, you know, arguably, even with the free agent additions that Seattle has brought back at the cornerback position, you got to look at what has been, you know, one of the most productive uh, defensive back producing programs in, in the entire country in the University of Washington. Trent McDuffie, I expect him to be off the board after number nine overall. To me, he is a good player. I think he, he is too rich for number nine. Um, but still, I think he's absolutely a first-round caliber player. I expect him to be gone at 40-41. Um, but still, I, I see a number of players, guys who are invited to the Combine and others, who would make some sense for Seattle at that University of Washington Pro Day. Well, I'm going to stick in the secondary. I'm going to go with the other corner. Now, I think for a lot of teams, McDuffie would be the better player coming into the league. But Kyler Gordon, you look at the size. He's a bigger body corner. He'll come up and he'll, he'll stick you. I've seen the potential for him as a turnover creator as well, where I haven't necessarily seen that from McDuffie. Part of it's been teams have not challenged him very much in Pac-12 play in particular. But Gordon actually looks to me like he might be a better fit for what the Seahawks want from their corners. That's not to say that he's guaranteed to have a better career in the NFL than what McDuffie is. I think there are a lot of schemes that McDuffie could be extremely successful in. I just, looking at this team closely, being from the area, and I've gotten to watch him a few times, Gordon's always been a player that's jumped out to me, and I just look at his size, his physical attributes, the way that he plays, and he just screams Seahawks corner. Now, maybe they would be more inclined to take McDuffie now with them playing more man coverage and some of the adjustments that they'll be making. But at least based in the past and still some of the stuff they're going to be doing with their zone coverages and with Pete Carroll loving guys that come up and stick people, both these guys are good tackling corners, so that wouldn't be an issue. But I think Kyler Gordon is definitely one. Pick 40, pick 41 could be very enticing to the Seahawks if he's still on the board. He could be. I mean, as you talked about before, I mean, the, the earliest that Seattle has invested a draft pick, uh, you know, in a cornerback since uh, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, you know, joined forces all those years ago was in the third round. 
So to see them invest a first or second round selection in a quarterback would be shocking, especially considering how much uh, assets they've used in bringing back Sidney Jones, obviously, former University of Washington product himself, and then uh, you know Artie Burns and Justin Coleman. It, it would be a surprise to see Seattle invest that early of a pick. But if they were to do so, a guy like Kyler Gordon makes a lot of sense because, as you mentioned, the, the trades just pop off the tape. I mean, it's like somebody went by there with a highlighter. I mean, you can just see the explosiveness. I mean, the way that he drives back downhill on the football, those those long, I mean, he's got long arms and, and not necessarily the way they measure. I think it was 31 and a half, wasn't quite as long as I actually thought they were going to be, but he uses them well. He's got those, the you know, good hand-eye coordination to kind of slap away the football. I still believe that McDuffie is the better football player at this point, but I would agree with you that Kyler Gordon might make some sense, at least what Seattle has prioritized at the cornerback position in the past. And, and that kind of leads me to kind of shift the conversation a little bit here you're asking me about who you know some of the best players for university of washington one of the reasons why i'm going to seattle to kind of see the workout I, i'm eager to see what kate Otten can do um you know unfortunately he was unable to work out at the combine himself um this is a tight end class that i think has good depth but at the same time it is not one that has a lot of headliners there is not a lot of guys who run routes and catch the football any softer and cleaner than kate Otten does so to me he is somebody that i'm gonna be very excited to kind of see how he he performs. And then finally, the guy who I actually think might wind up being the best fit for the CX. So this would be a late round selection as well. But the, the center guard tackle, he's played them all. Luke Wattenberg, four-year starter for the Huskies. I think that he projects best at center. That's what I watched him perform very, very well at uh, in Las Vegas for the East-West Shrine Bowl. To me, he's one of those guys, Corbin, that if the Seahawks don't invest in a free agent or in an early selection in a center, then I think that Wattenberg, one of those day three selections, sixth, seventh round, would make an awful lot of sense for Seattle as well. That would be one of the guys that would be towards the bottom of my board that I think could make sense and maybe has the ceiling to be a starter in the league. And because he's played a number of positions, we know the Seahawks value versatility on the offensive line. So Wattenberg is another name to keep an eye on. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, which is hosted by Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. They are bringing the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. Once in a blue moon, they have Rob Rang on there as well. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and we're, of course, streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to really start shifting gears towards the draft. Going to start breaking down position by position as we get closer to the end of April and the Seahawks have a number of picks, including a high first rounder for the first time in more than a decade. Plus, we'll have the latest updates coming out of free agency as we go into week three of the NFL offseason. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.